Welcome to another episode of E-Commerce on Tap, brought to you by Sourceify. I'm your host, Nathan Resnick. Please like and subscribe. We're super excited for today's guest, and here we go. Today we have one of the most highly regarded influencers and creators and founders and advisors and investors in the whole e-commerce ecosystem. James, it is a pleasure to have you on e-commerce on tap. I want to start just by having you give a quick 30 second introduction because you've been in the space for so long and probably take me half an hour to introduce you. So I'll let you do the pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Nathan. I'm James Thompson. I've had the pleasure of either working at Amazon or running an Amazon agency for about the last 15 years. Many years ago, I was Amazon's first FBA account manager back when we were trying to show people that we had bigger warehouses than everybody else and they should use our warehouses instead of their own smaller warehouses. After I left Amazon back in 2013, my business partner and I started Buybox Experts, which became a 300-person Amazon agency. We also founded the Prosper Show, which was an educational event for third-party sellers in North America. Today, I am, I've stepped away from the agency world and I now work with e-commerce startups, looking at investment opportunities and figuring out how they can expand and create a better foundation for brands to be able to do things beyond just Amazon. So I'm glad to be here to chat with you and share my thoughts on where things are going with U.S. and international e-commerce. With that, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you for that introduction, James. And when I told a few people that you were coming on, they were so excited. And literally, people wanted to record in live to see what we're talking about in real time. And I want to start just because you've been in the ecosystem so long in terms of the history of the Amazon ecosystem and where you see it going forward. You started by working at Amazon, then you ran a 300-plus person agency, and then you started the go-to e-commerce event, Prosper. And so I just want to start and jump back 10 years Amazon was a wide open landscape. How have you seen that overall transition to where it's at today? And then we're going to talk about each trend that we're seeing that we believe Amazon sellers okay. need to actually capitalize. I go back to 2007 when I started working at Amazon and the world was one of getting more selection on the site. Hey, we don't have the major brands on the site. Let's go get the major brands so that we're relevant for consumers when they come shopping for big brands. By the time we got to about 2010, Amazon had the vast majority of brands, but now it was about creating competition on those brands by having two, three, five, ten sellers of the same products where everybody's beating each other up on price. We moved into Amazon Prime being a really important aspect of buying products. Not only did you have to have selection, but you need to have selection that you could get delivered quickly to your home a la Prime, whether that's first-party selection or FBA selection. If you fast forward 10 years, Amazon's done, obviously, it rolled out Amazon advertising and lots of other programs. In the last year or so, the pivot for Amazon has been around, we recognize that we can't be the sole destination for all customer search, for all customer shopping. So what can we do at Amazon to become more relevant in those transactions that don't necessarily happen on Amazon? So think of it this way, Amazon was able to capture a huge percent of our wallets by being relevant in more and more categories, but there will always be some categories or some purchase experiences where naturally consumers are gonna shop somewhere else. How does Amazon provide fulfillment services for that? How do they provide payment services for that? How do they provide advertising to drive traffic to those other sites? These are all aspects of being able to make 
a customer find the right products, albeit off of Amazon, and Amazon's still able to participate in that transaction. That really stems from their kind of Amazon Pay product that they put on a bunch of other websites mm -hmm. and pay through mm -hmm. their system. I want to talk more so on the brand side in terms of there seems to be like a fundamental change, right? In terms of Amazon, number one, first going out and trying to get large brands like the Nikes mm -hmm. of the world to sell on Amazon. Then there had to be this fundamental pivot or change in mindset on Nike's end or something that Amazon did where Nike said, hey, we don't want to sell through Amazon anymore. What do you think that fundamental change or mindset change was either from Amazon's perspective or from Nike's perspective? So we can certainly talk about Nike. There are brands that view themselves first and foremost. The brand is so critical to who it is, to consumers. Mm -hmm. Amazon really is a strong transactional marketplace. If you want to find something, you can go buy the box of whatever it is, but it's not necessarily the place to go if you want to learn everything about the brand, what it could mean for you and your life, and so on and so forth. And if you already know what you want as a consumer from a functional perspective, and you're just going to buy the widget of choice, Amazon's a great place to do that. But if the brand is saying, yes, I want you to buy from me, but what I really want you to do is become so engulfed in everything that I stand for as a brand beyond just buying my products, but believing in my causes or aligning with my way of thinking about how the product should interact with you in your life. Those aspects of brand and consumer relationship are not necessarily going to be Amazon's strengths. And so a brand like Nike made that decision a few years back saying, we don't want to participate in selling our products on Amazon. And so we're going to go and build our own strong DDC site or find other types of online retail partners who can represent us. That being said, we get into this whole rat hole that we don't really need to go down, but Amazon has a lot of unauthorized seller activity where products are often being sold by companies that aren't necessarily the retailers of choice for brands. And even though Nike left the website, left Amazon, there, there are still 30, 40, 50,000 Nike products on the website at any given point being sold by all sorts of companies who have managed to get inventory on those particular products. So you've got this peculiarity where Nike wants to control what its brands look like in front of consumers. They've chosen to walk away from Amazon and focus on other channels where they have much better control of the message. But there's still a message, a Nike message on Amazon. It's just that it's being controlled by somebody else, or in this case, thousands of somebody else's who happen to have bits and pieces of Nike wanted to create their own digital experience, right? And they didn't want to just compete for the search box around shoes or athletic shoes. And so I think as the marketplace has progressed, obviously sellers from other places around the world have started to target the U.S. market to really try to own that result that comes up for athletic shoes and provide the highest quality option for the cheapest price. Because it seems like to me, a lot of brands on Amazon compete on price which Nike probably didn't want to play that game, right? Even if you're a higher-end brand, there are ways to find a place on Amazon, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be your primary sales channel. You asked this question earlier around what's happened on Amazon over the last 10, 15 years. I think one of the other big changes that's happened is when we think about Amazon pre-2010, Amazon was a sales channel. We went there to buy stuff. But Amazon's now a place where you go and you advertise stuff or you go and collect customer data to learn about what customers are looking for. And so if it's selling, advertising, collecting data, and being able to do different types of product testing, Amazon is now a much richer platform for brands to interact with Amazon. One of my favorite sayings about Amazon is 
even if you don't sell on Amazon, you have to have an Amazon channel strategy because somebody's going to think about Amazon as a place to sell your products or advertise your products or find out about your products that they can go and find a way to make a better, cheaper knockoff of your product. All of that plays into here is this destination where tens of millions of consumers shop on a monthly basis. You as a brand are best served to think about what can we get out of this channel, even if it doesn't mean selling our products directly or indirectly. Makes a lot of sense. I want to dive into now more so because most of our listeners are medium-sized e-commerce brands. Some of them have been selling and scaling on Amazon. Some of them have been scaling across the Shopify ecosystem. Some of them even now have their own retail channel. And so I'm curious, in today's world, it seems like there is still a lot of opportunity on Amazon, but it seems like you need to have a more high-level, widespread DTC strategy as a brand and not just sell through one channel. What do you think about this kind of omni-channel environment? And if you were a brand, what kind of approach would you take towards an omni-channel environment that we're living in today? So I'm going to start by asking the question, what exactly is a real brand? What is a brand? Is it a UPC and some trademark name on a box? Or is it a set of promises that long-term you commit to the customer that you're going to deliver certain functionality. Customers will come to trust that you consistently deliver that functionality. And no matter where they buy or interact with your brand, the same set of promises are going to come through in that branding. I would argue it's much more of that second way of thinking about what a brand is. And while many companies have come on Amazon and said, you know what, I need to build my own brand. I'm going to go source product. I'm going to put it on Amazon put in my own special box with my own special UPC, that does not make a brand. That simply makes a product that's a widget that's specifically your widget, but it doesn't necessarily have any sentimental or emotional connection with consumers. And so as you start to think about if I'm a serious brand or I'm a brand that's here for the long term and I want to create a long-term relationship with the consumer, whether your product is a consumable that's bought every month or a product that consumers buy every five years, you need to find a way to engage with consumers. And engagement could mean education. It could mean following up with consumers. It could mean collecting data on consumers to understand what it is, how their needs are changing over time. But you've got to engage with the consumer in some manner. When you're purely doing transactions, like you might be doing on Amazon, it's hard for there to be a lot of engagement. Thank you very much for selling five units of my product, but I don't know you, the consumer, any better than I did before before you bought five units of my product. And as we start to think about Amazon and every other e-commerce opportunity for you to engage with consumers, I have seen some brands who will say, you know what, most of my sales will go through Amazon because that's where most people who are ready to shop happen to be looking around for products. But I need to have a website where I educate consumers, where I provide rich video content, different types of opportunities for consumers to engage back with me so I can learn or I can see comment from them. That's one way to use an off Amazon DTC site. You may not actually have meaningful sales on that site, but you need to own your brand name, own the domain, be in a position where if consumers want to learn more about your product beyond what's otherwise on Amazon, that there are convenient and easy to find places to find content. You've got a YouTube channel where you've got demonstration videos on how to set up your product, how to maintain your product, how to clean your product, how to know when your product needs to be replaced, that kind of stuff. You're not going to be able to load five, six different types of videos on Amazon where the consumer is going to go through all of that at the time that they're ready to make a transaction. But you've got to engage with the consumer to provide them that content so that 
as they learn more about your product, as they experience more of your product by way of owning it, they are provided the opportunity to continue to engage with you, even though they may not necessarily be on Amazon. There's also the mindset that, lo and behold, even if Amazon owns 65, 70% of all consumer sales in e-commerce in the U.S. online, that still leaves 30, 35% somewhere else. As a brand, your job is to be where consumers are. And not all consumers are on Amazon or not all consumers are always on Amazon. So how do you make sure that you're relevant in these other channels? I've worked with far too many brands who have said, I don't want to be on eBay or walmart.com or any number of other sites because the effort's not that significant. I'm going to put all this work in. I'm not really going to get a lot of sales. That's not the point. The point is not if I put five hours into Amazon, I get this much sales. If I put five hours into walmart.com, I get the same level of sales. That's not the point at all. The point is, are you in all the places that consumers, on the most part, are going to do their shopping? If you're not there, you're not part of the consideration set. You're not part of the consideration set. That just means some new competitor is going to come along and say, I'll be part of the consideration set by putting my products in this channel. On the one hand, I'm not saying be in every single channel out there, but you need to say, you know, if I sell widget XYZ, what are the types of channels that make the most sense, even though they may not all be as developed as Amazon? I still need to be in a position to be relevant, to be part of that consideration set, to be managing my branding, to be engaging with consumers at different stages of the purchase process. I think back to maybe 2011 or so, very unsophisticated thinking on my part around if a brand puts products on Amazon, the consumer comes along and they say, oh, I want a pair of men's jeans. Boom, I found it. Click, we're done. The journey for the consumer, the journey the consumer takes to get to eventually buying the product from Amazon or wherever else that journey goes all over the place. It's on Google search. It goes to DTC site. It may go to Amazon. It may come back to DTC site. As you think about the fluidity of the learning process and then eventually the purchase decision, it's going to go all over the place. And as a brand, you need to control those different points. You need to be present in those most common places where consumers are going to naturally journey between your brand and other brands to try to find what makes most sense for them. So if you think about each channel in absence of every other channel, and you say, we need to make sure I get a certain ROI just from this channel, you can lose sight of the fact that this channel actually is part of the bigger equation of how does your brand continue to be relevant to consumers, no matter where they are in the purchase decision stage. Hard for a fairly new brand that maybe grew up on Amazon to make those investments on all those other channels, when quite frankly, they can keep doubling down on Amazon. Right. But, But the reality is, you're not really a brand if you only exist on Amazon. You're not really engaging with consumers and fully leveraging the opportunity for them to get to know you and for you to be able to learn from them and be in a position that you continue to be relevant the next time they or somebody they know that they recommend your product to, somebody there is in a position to re-engage with you. That makes a lot of sense. One of the questions that we get asked the most at Sourceify when a brand stems from Amazon and they're trying to sell across channels now is how do they manage inventory across channels as a brand or as a product that now wants to become a brand and try to sell across channels. You all of a sudden have this backend inventory challenge where you're trying to figure out where's the best place to put my inventory. I know you're a board member and an investor in DaVinci micro fulfillment and just want to understand the positioning around that and how you see a product that's selling on Amazon that wants to become a brand across different channels. What's the best scenario on the back end for that then? So there's really two parts to your question. One is how do you split your inventory? And then the second part is how do you balance the inventory across those two so that you've got the right amount for each of those two different channels? Right now, here we are, Q4. 
Don't know when you're broadcasting this, but here we are in Q4, and we have FBA sellers who are being constrained by how much product they can send into FBA right now. You also have first-party brands who are not getting the purchase orders they fully expected they were going to get, and as a result, they're sitting in a lot more inventory than they had planned to, and they don't know what to do with it. They have nowhere to put it because, quite frankly, a lot of brands have a single warehouse that they use for cross-docking and for prepping orders or shipments into Amazon. What do I do with all this inventory? And so even if you're only selling on Amazon, it doesn't necessarily mean your products are going to be accepted into Amazon in the volumes that you anticipate you're going to sell this quarter. And so you're stuck. And you're saying, what do I do to make my products available for fairly ready order fulfillment to consumers if, in fact, Amazon's not necessarily going to handle my products in their own warehouses? And so the first decision, which in my mind is the easiest decision, is you need to have a warehouse that can do order fulfillment, not just building shipments that go into Amazon, whether they're FBA shipments or they're 1P shipments, but actually be able to do individual order fulfillment so that if you have to turn on different types of shipping options in Q4 or at some other point where Amazon chooses to not accept products that you otherwise think you have the volume to be able to sell, having a fulfillment center in place that can do order fulfillment is absolutely critical. Now, it turns out We've also got to balance this with this other weird thing going on, which is most consumers in this country have come to expect that they can order anything on Amazon and get it in two to three days with a reasonably high level of predictability. And so you happen to have your own Shopify site and you're looking to fulfill stuff and you have your single where that where you're doing the order fulfillment. I'm making up example here, but let's say your facility is somewhere on the East Coast in New York somewhere and you've got customers in California that want that product, and they're expecting two to three day shipping, unless you have margins to be able to afford air shipping, which very few brands do, you're gonna have a problem getting that California customer that product quickly. And so now you're looking at how do we actually distribute inventory across the country so we can efficiently, cost efficiently, time efficiently get products to consumers using two to three day trucking rates rather than doing air shipping. So now you've gone from, I have a warehouse out back to I have a network of facilities across the country and I've got to figure out how much product to put in each of those different warehouses. So I've got to have sophisticated inventory balancing and shifting inventory around. Those are all decisions that the individual brand doesn't really have to worry about those if they work with an organization that knows how to do that balancing and knows how to use the available sales data and continue to refresh it and say, we overestimated here, we underestimated there. Let's shift things so that next month we allocate a little bit differently than we did this month. But at the end of the day, what we need to do as a brand, whether we sell on Amazon or we sell on any other channel, is we need to make our products not only available to consumers in lots of channels, but we need to get it in, set up in such a way that consumers can buy from any of those channels and with high reliability be able to get those orders fulfilled to them, not necessarily within two days the way Prime is supposed to be, but let's say two to three, maybe even three to four days on a high reliable basis. I don't buy from most Shopify sites today if I see that shipping times are not even put on the website. You'll get it at some point. My first inclination is I don't know what at some point means. Let me go on Amazon and see if they have something that's comparable that I can get with high reliability the next couple of days. That's what right. brands are up against when they go DTC or any of these other marketplaces that are trying to compete with Amazon. You need to have that back-end fulfillment capability distributed across the country to be able to compete with Prime. Yeah, I think that's a great analysis in terms of how do you actually compete with Prime from a fulfillment standpoint. And fulfillment for your brand can be seen 
as a point of conversion, right? Like you said, when you're on a Shopify site and they don't specify the ship times, that makes you question, when am I actually gonna get this product? And so I think using fulfillment as a point of conversion and trying to get to a point where you're shipping in two or less than four days where it can help increase conversion rate is a huge win for any brand. I want to start wrapping up, but I have one trend that we've got to talk about because I know a lot of brands have been asking us, and that's more so around how American brands that have started this omni-channel journey, a lot of them have thought about, well, how do I expand internationally? Like, how do I actually go to sell either on Amazon marketplace in Japan or Europe or wherever it may be, or how do I actually even, if I'm primarily on Shopify, how do I start selling through my Shopify channel? Do you have any insights in regards to how a brand in today's environment can start to expand internationally? So whether you're selling domestically or internationally, you can go one of two routes. You can go DTC or you can go through marketplaces are well-established in the sense that they bring traffic to their sites. Whereas if you're DTC and you're going into another country, you're going to have to figure out how do you drive traffic to your website in those other countries. Shopify has some solutions for overseas, but often brands, as they get bigger, they'll work with someone like eShop World or Global E, which are partner companies that will work with brands to help coordinate all of these DTC sites in different parts of the world. But the problem there is you still have to be a pretty big brand to be able to plug into those types of services. And so what ends up happening is if you're going DTC overseas, a lot of brands are going to patch together an agency here, an agency there. And it doesn't take long before you realize this isn't really making us any money. It's very frustrating. What do we do? An easier route is if you sell through marketplaces, again, established gatherings of consumers, established traffic coming to those sites, being in a position where you can plug yourself in and say, first and foremost, let's look at all the Amazon international marketplaces because it's the same same user interface. It's easier to understand. Yes, I'm going to have to get my content translated. Yes, I'm going to have to figure out how to use FBA in some other country. Yes, I'm going to have to work out all the tax and import issues. But Amazon has actually made a lot of things easier than what it would be if you were just trying to have to figure it out yourself or work with any number of other marketplaces that don't necessarily have some of these things plugged in. But there are a couple of options available right now for U.S. sellers. Specifically, if you work with Coupang in Korea or you work with Macabre Libre in South America, there's a number of countries they cover. But both of those marketplaces, you can actually ship products to U.S. addresses, facilities managed by those international marketplaces. They will take your individual orders. They will handle putting the customs paperwork on it, packing it up with other orders, and then moving it in bulk into those back into those other countries so that you don't have to worry about getting all the right codes in place and tax issues and such done. That's a big way to dip your toe into international without having to physically relocate some of your inventory into a warehouse that you may never have actually seen in a country you may never have actually traveled to. Mm -hmm. Those are soft ways to go international, either through the Amazon FBA programs overseas or plugging into markets like Coupang and Macabre Libre, which are certainly very large international marketplaces and allow you to learn some of the challenges of dealing with translation, dealing with different types of tax structures and so on and so forth. That's a great insight. I want to wrap up here with one last question and then we got to find out where people can find you, James. And sure. this is a question I ask every guest is, what's one question I didn't ask that you would like to answer that you think is very relevant for e-commerce brands in in today's environment? The big question is, what is Amazon doing right now that's gonna have a major impact on brands in the next three years? 
I think the most important development is what Amazon's doing with Amazon DSP. DSP advertising platform is a separate platform from the traditional PPC model that most Amazon sellers know. And to date, it's been a platform that's been in some ways gated from most smaller sellers because you have to spend typically $25,000 to $35,000 minimum a month on the program. However, Amazon DSP allows you to do targeting of your own customers, targeting of your competitors' customers, based on all sorts of information that historically Amazon sellers have not been able to tap into. As brands get to be big enough that they can afford $35,000 a month in DSP mm -hmm. advertising, see that form of advertising not only becoming a huge growth opportunity for Amazon, but it actually allows brands to do micro-targeting that they can't do with print, they can't do with TV, they certainly can't do with Amazon PPC, we're going to see many more non-traditional or brands that don't traditionally participate on Amazon uh, tip, dipping into this Amazon DSP platform because it's so incredibly powerful and, quite frankly, allows bigger brands with bigger budgets to steal huge numbers of customers from smaller brands on Amazon mm -hmm. might not realize that this is happening right under their nose. Right. So right. Amazon DSP to me is the one big area where we all need to pay attention because it's going to have a major impact, but right now it's just sneaking up on people. Yeah, I've heard DSP is going to be a major, tur major turning point for a lot of brands. James, thank you so much for coming on e-commerce on tap. Where can people find you? And also, what are you looking for? Are you looking for new investments, different brands? What would you like people to get in touch with you about? I can be reached on LinkedIn. I'm James Thompson. That's T-H-O-M-S-O-N. There's only a couple of us out there. I'm based in Seattle. You'll find me. Feel free to reach out to me that way. I work with companies, as I say, startups now that are looking for funding, looking for bigger brands to go international or to become more sophisticated with the ways that they're driving traffic to their businesses. But at the end of the day, I'm delighted to have had a chance to come on and chat with you and you today and learn more about what you're thinking about. So thank you again for having me on. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. If you could like and subscribe, we'd greatly appreciate it. And please keep an eye out for our next episode.